if you don't get clarity around what you really want, then it's very easy to get swept up with all those superficial things, which are just the house and the car and the clothes or whatever. And one must take the time to get deeper than that, because if you want those things, those things will come. But only if you have the clarity around, you know, what your actual passion is and what you should be doing. Welcome to The Expanded Podcast with your host, Lacey Phillips. As a leading manifestation advisor with a process that's, well, radically different from the old New Age model, mine is rooted in psychology, neuroscience, and my energetic gifts. I created this podcast to help you expand your subconscious limiting beliefs about the potential of deserving the manifestations you are calling in. Therefore, you're tuning into this podcast series to show your subconscious that anything you desire is possible. And by pressing play, you've already started the process of manifesting it. Welcome to August. I'm so excited. I've been chomping at the bit to keep this a secret because it's actually something that I think is going to be a smashing hit. So per usual, we sent out a survey and we love hearing what you need, what you want for deeper support to make this process even more effective for you. And such a brilliant concept that you asked for was to be able to pay a small fee to ask a question that's really burning for you in your practice right now, like whether something that's come up as a test, a block, something you can't get past, should you be saying yes or no to this thing, what type of expander you need, I mean, just any question that's coming to mind. And then within a few days, you receive back an answer from one of our coaches. So that's precisely what we are trying out this month. It's a limited offer for the month of August just to see how it goes. If it's a huge hit, we're going to consider keeping it. So just as I explained, you follow the link below. You'll see it on the site. Click onto the navigator and you see one-on-one -on -one support. It's the same page where you can either book a session with a coach or you can ask a question. So for $25, it's a very detailed forum that you fill out so that we have all of the specifics we need for your question. And then you'll receive back from one of the coaches a really deep explanation. And right on that page, you can click to listen to an example just to see how powerful this is. It's affordable. It's so supportive. It's helpful. It makes me completely out of my brain with excitement because it's exactly what I wish I had for the rabbit holes that I go down of systems, such as the Bean Protocol. I mean, how many of you wish that you could submit a question to Karen or to Unique for $25 for whatever's coming up and have them send a voice note back quickly so that you can proceed on your process of healing? That's precisely what this is. Each of the coaches answering, Amanda Blair, Atara Valentine, Heather Whitaker, and very exciting that we're going to be launching a new coach towards the end of the month, each of which have been precisely trained in this manifestation process. They've been hand-selected as coaches because they're so, so versed in the nuances of the energetics of this process. So if you're not a Pathway member or you've never done a la carte, or if you are those, or if you just have a question based on learning a lot of the cornerstones of this process and you've had questions because you're finding momentum, any single person can go ahead and click to ask your question. 
so exciting. You can find it in the link below. And tune into the mid-roll because each coach is going to be giving a tip this month. So let's move into today's episode. Welcome back to another Explained episode, which has quickly become your favorite segment of the entire podcast, Expanded. In Explained, Dr. Tara Swart joins my co-host Jessica Gill and I in deep diving on specific themes within manifestation, which all of you love because it's where we bridge our process of manifestation with neuroscience and psychology and the deep science that anchors it all together. Back in July, Dr. Tara Swart joined us as our psychology and neuroscience advisor. And why we handpicked her, besides the fact that she's so unbelievably marvelous, she has a PhD in neuroscience and a former medical career as a psychiatrist of seven years. She's also a senior lecturer and on faculty at MIT, no big deal, and senior lecturer at King's College. She's currently working on research projects on plasticity and epigenetics. She has Google Talks. LinkedIn, Facebook, and two TED Talks. She's also the author of three books, her latest being The Source. So let's get into another Explained episode where Dr. Tara and I break down the energetics and science of manifestation, offering a roundtable perspective on the deep intricacies and connection. Here goes. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Explained. We have Dr. Tara and Lacey Phillips on, and I'm going to kick us off with a quote that is pertinent to clarity, but more specifically, pings. Don't ignore your pings. The universe is showing you your path. So clarity was a topic that we get questions on all the time. It shows up in our lives daily between finding a job, partner, where to move, when to have kids, where to retire, what to post on social media, what to have for dinner, what to manifest. Clarity in a way is is something that is so ingrained in our lives and is one of the first steps of this manifestation process. So without clarity of where to look or what to do next, we sort of default to those old systems of distraction, procrastination, self-sabotage. How would the both of you describe the process of finding clarity? And why do you think it's so important when it comes to manifestation? Dr. Tara, I want to actually kick this to you. Today, there will be a lot of pointing it over to you because I'm pretty loosey-goosey and abstract with people with clarity. Personally, for myself, there have been many times I've been like clenching at the fist for more clarity and it wasn't meant to be unveiled yet. So I actually have a lot of respect in the process of surrender, but I know so much science goes into clarity like and, and procrastination and all of that. So I want to hear your your thoughts first, and then I'll kind of give all of my loosey-goosey thoughts. <laughs> okay, that's interesting, because I was actually sitting here thinking, I'm so interested to hear about the energetics of this. You say loosey-goosey, but I just, I love the depth that I'm sure you're going to add to the science, because the science is very crystal clear on this. It's, it's almost like it's too rational in a way. It's just so like, this is how it is. So let's see where we get, you know, I'll, I'll kick off. And then I really want to hear what that brings up for you. Excellent. So basically, we are bombarded with millions of bits of data every microsecond. So the brain is bombarded with information. And this has just become worse and worse over time. I think there's some statistic, you have to double check me on this, but it's something like 
during Shakespeare's time, the amount of information a person would receive in their lifetime is what we could read in the New York Times in one day. I've heard that from my Vedic meditation teacher, that even stimulation for our nervous system, the amount that we take in in one day would have been like a, a full lifetime back then. Yeah. So if you think about it like that, how do you get clarity when that's happening? If you're not paying attention, if you're not choosing where your attention should go to seek that clarity, it's just obvious that it would be so easy to get overwhelmed by all this data that your brain's getting bombarded with. And so, you know, when we, we go along on a normal day, we're trying to hold down the day job, we're trying to, you know, make sure the work-life balance is okay, the kids are okay, all the responsibilities that we've got, we're simply not able to pay the full attention to filtering all that data in the way that we want to or, or the best way. So the brain does a pretty good job of filtering out what's unwanted or not necessary or not vital to our survival in the short term. And it's difficult for the brain to think about, okay, what's going to make me thrive long term? What do I, I really need to manifest? Or how should I think about my career? We just, we don't have the bandwidth for it. So the processes that happen without us being too conscious of it are selective filtering, which is that what's seen as not necessary is filtered out immediately. So the best example I can give of that is you're not aware of the clothing that's on your body all day. And there's a reason for that, because that would just you know be an extra distraction all day. So there's many things like that, that you see, hear, feel, taste, remember, experiences and emotion that you simply don't register because it's filtered out. It's not relevant to your current situation. And then selective filtering becomes selective attention. So then you start to pay attention to what you know, has been brought to the to the front of your brain. And then finally, there's this process called value tagging, which is tagging in order of importance, those bits of data. And, you know, I want to be very clear that those bits of data are in all modalities. So they will be energetic, they will be emotional, they will be logical, they will be physical, and all sorts of other things. And the tagging process is both logical and emotional. So there will be some things that you know you need to get done, some things that you know if you don't do these things, you can't really just carry on with your normal life. So logically, those things kind of get put quite high up in importance. And then there will be more intangible things like the warmth that you feel being around your friends and family. And this is where we start to get to these sort of more deeply held desires that maybe you don't talk about that much or you're not actively trying to manifest, but they're definitely there. So where there's an emotion element to that, that will be on your list and it will be quite high up, but it probably won't be right at the top because the logical things and the really necessary things take precedence. And that's why it's so important for you to be the person that's focusing your attention on what you want to manifest and where it does happen, you know, where you get these pings and these intuitive messages that you do listen to them as well, because it's, again, it's just so easy with the day job and normal life to to not listen. Yeah, everything you said is so clear. First, I'll start with when I used to work with clients one on one, it was very simplistic to find why they didn't have clarity yet, right? Usually it came down to a block of sorts, you know, whether it was pinpointing that they always competed with their little sister when they were younger, 
and the sister got all of the praise. And so they played the role of always being the sidekick and not good enough and not a leader. So until I could spot the block and we could unblock it, then it was like, oh, maybe it was their brain giving permission. I finally have a chance now to be the, my own leader of my life or my own creator. So it was really simplistic to find out the whole clarity piece when I could really sit one-on-one. -on -one. But what I saw always as a common theme, which is totally playing into exactly what you're saying, is that the more that we can get rid of stuff that's not allowing our intuition to truly tap into the next step, how we want to feel in whatever it is, our life, if it has to be that abstract, a lot of people will write into us and they're like, we don't know what our sole purpose is, like what we're supposed to be doing for work. And so even if they can start to get quiet enough to get into the place of writing down, what do they want work to feel like? So for example, before I had fully gotten the download to start my blog, I wrote that down. I sat down and I was like, cool, creative, everybody is very supportive of an environment like white walls, very clean, organic food, community, no like strict hours. Like I really had to get down to what it felt like. And then it's so interesting because not only everything that I manifested in my career turned out to unveil all of that, but even in our team environment, we still have that. So what you're saying makes a ton of sense to exactly what I've kind of always known working one-on-one -on -one is the more we can get rid of A, distractions, and B, blocks, the clarity starts to unveil itself. But usually we, if we start to feel into our intuition a little bit more, and, and we're already doing the work to get rid of our ego, you know, because the ego when it's playing, usually the shadow work or the blocks are projecting this type of lifestyle that we're supposed to have, or this relationship we're supposed to have, or this home we're supposed to have based on the programming of, of which we didn't receive love growing up, or our parents said we should always have, or X, Y, and Z media, culture, whatever. The more that we can start to like peel all of those things back, including all the things you're talking about, all the distractions, and literally start to hear ourselves and our intuition, we can usually start to tap into what does it feel like? listening to our pings, listening to one foot in front of the other. And then something that I always like to tell people when they aren't having a lot of clarity, for instance, the woman on our team, she's had this where she's like, I know I'm supposed to be an entrepreneur, but I can never get the download of exactly what that's supposed to be. And I look at her and I tell her, I'm like, you are the flowiest person I know. You know, when you're manifesting, it's like your apartment comes through right away. You're always financially abundant, never ceases to have relationship opportunities come through. I'm like, you're right where you're supposed to be right now. So the more you can just curate your life in a sense to get rid of distractions and start tapping in more, that's where the next steps unveil themselves, in my opinion. So totally exactly what you're saying. I love the way you said that, because I'm just sitting here nodding. And it, I feel like we, we said the same thing just through a different perspective. And I think a big misconception for people is that they have to know the exact details of what job they would do or what business they would run. And I agree with you that it's more of a felt sense. And so you've described it in one way, which is that just the feeling that it would be to, to be in that situation. And I think, you know, for some people, it will be an image or it will be a sense of balance. And even feeling is, there's different ways of feeling it. But like you, I'm someone who thinks I'll know when it's right. But what I think you've said that's really important to just reinforce is that people need to take the time to create that sense of clarity, whatever it is for them. If you never take the time, then you won't have any sense of what that feeling is, whether it's a visual image or a physical sensation. 
so you know you said when I worked with people one-on-one and I know that what I still refer back to now was some co-coaching that I had with somebody who started out coaching at the same time as me which is 13 years ago now where she twice helped me to really articulate what it would feel like when I'd got that balance in my work and my life right so I smile whenever I think about it now but at the end of one coaching session I, I said if the shoe fits I'll wear it and I knew in my heart what that shoe had to look like but nobody else would know for example and then in another session it was about balance and variety and you know a bit of reading a bit of writing some coaching and like you I had an image of the home space the white walls the plants that were in the home so people have to create that clarity for what it means for them so I think it would be really helpful to give a couple of examples of what that could look like curating some space or opportunities to feel into this. And a couple that come to mind for me is one that we've always told people that I think is really helpful is to curate your social media or any of the media you're taking in. Of course, there's so many forms of media that are coming at us all day. May it be from all the social units, also all the emails we're getting when we're driving around, if we're in a city, we're having billboards and just suggestions coming at all time. But one that we have control over is our social media. And even something that I've always kept in the past is just a secret little account that I only follow my expanders. And many weeks I'll go just being in that account so that I'm really just taking in those different suggestions of what I know that I want more of in my life. So that doesn't give you the quiet time, but it's certainly kind of what you're talking about, it seems, Dr. Tara, is that it will start to let your brain, whatever it's taking in, it'll be less of the nonsense, even though I know what you meant, your clothing in a day and stuff, I know it's even more reasonable than what I'm saying. So that's one. And then the second is, to me, it's imperative that one carves out quiet time to really feel into this stuff. And one of those opportunities is we have the free clarity exercise. And there's a deep imagining in there that you can listen to that literally is going to kind of walk you through things and potential future and what things feel like. So that's an opportunity. Meditation can be an opportunity, getting into nature for 30 minutes and really just starting to feel in like asking yourself those deeper questions. Those to me seem like ways you can carve out just to give an opportunity to feel into what this is, these things are. But what about you, Dr. Tara? I love all of those things, but I, as you know, I'm a big proponent of journaling, particularly for setting your intention, raising your attention of what's important, what's happening, what's not happening. And although just writing in a journal can be very cathartic, reading back over it allows you so much access to your intuition. And often you actually see pings that you wrote about, but you missed consciously registering. So yeah, I think setting aside the time to do it. And I've recommended the clarity tool to so many people at the moment, because you know we're in another state of flux, really, at the moment in the world. I think the best examples are work opportunities, and then relationship issues. To me, the biggest ping that people consciously ignore is the one where you have that nagging doubt that you should no longer be in the relationship that you're in. Mm hmm. And I think for all sorts of fear and procrastination reasons, so that's quite a nice segue into the next part of what we'll talk about. We don't want to change the status quo. We're fearful of what what will happen if we let go of the sort of safety raft that we have at the moment. So that's the one I hear about most is either in retrospect or there are just so many signs that the relationship isn't healthy, but people still aren't willing to leave it. 
Yep. And I hear a same in, in career. Like I would say those are the two that I hear about most often. Absolutely. Or career, hobby, or passion. Completely agree. And just sort of defining some of these terms for people, if you're new tuning in to all of this work. So pings are sort of a term that we use at TBM almost interchangeably with the idea of intuition. Pings are essentially our head of intuition that tells you to do a specific thing, go a specific place. They're your intuitive roadmaps. And I think one thing that you talk about in your book, Dr. Tara, that really made so much sense to me was this idea of introception and how it's so important. You know, I know at least for me, whenever I'm able to get those intuitive hits and those pings a lot more clearly is when I calm down my nervous system. I have to really be in rest and digest. So whether that's journaling, breathing exercises, meditation, kind of all of those nervous system calming things, then the intuition can kind of flow. And I think that plays into this idea of interception. So what exactly is going on in the body with interception? So I'm so glad you mentioned that because I think it, you know, with a medical background, it's something that I've always been aware of. But even for me to connect it to the intuition was you know, that came later in life with, with doing more of the merging the science and spirituality. So it's important to say as well, because this is often a, an autocorrect, uh, if you're typing, the word is actually interoception. So it's not interception, but it always autocorrects to interception. And it is literally, like medically speaking, your sixth sense. So you know how sometimes people refer to intuition as your sixth sense, and it's kind of like a saying, Interoception is actually after the five senses of vision, hearing, smell, taste, sound, and touch. It's the sense of the state of the physiology of the inside of your body. It's how do you know if you're hungry? How do you know if you need to go to the bathroom? And of course, we see that, you know, small children develop this sense in the first sort of year or two of their life. And when we're older and it gets more complex and nuanced, it goes beyond just those physical things to like, you know, let me ask you both. Are you one of those people who works really hard and then when you go on vacation, you get sick? Or are you one of those people who two days before you have a cold or a flu, you just know that something is out of kilter in your body? You don't have an obvious sore throat or a cough or a you know, runny nose, but you just, you just know that something's not right in your body. I'm the latter. Yeah, yeah, same, me too. I shifted, I shifted. I used to be the, oh my gosh, once I get that release of vacation, I would get sick. But now after doing a lot of that inner work, now I can notice like immediately, I'm like, oh, I really need to like rest a lot this week. I can feel something coming on and I can usually snuff it out before it rears. Mm -hmm, same yeah isn't that amazing yeah I mean it's just it's so incredible you just feel like a whole different sense of power of your body and I think that the work that we're trying to help people to really understand and take on is having that same sense of having more power over your mind and your thoughts and your subconscious beliefs so so interoception is although it's a quite a physiological term I love the way you've connected it up to your brain is also part of the physiology of your body. So it's about understanding how your beliefs and your intuition might be shifting or trying to tell you something. Because we've talked about some very basic things, like with children, we've talked about some more complex things and tends to be more in adults. But the kind of people that I work with, the, the stressed executives, 
they don't listen to months of chest pain. Mm, wow. And they're surprised when they have a heart attack, you know, so there's the whole spectrum with that. So if we move it away from just the physical, but the connection is very much that the gut neurons have a direct connection through the vagus nerve to the limbic or intuitive part of the brain. The gut bacteria communicate with the gut neurons. And we know now that they separately communicate directly with the brain, not through neurons, but through chemical messengers in the blood, which is called cytokine transmission. So there's both neural and cytokine messaging in a three-way between the brain, the gut neurons, and the gut bacteria. To the point that the Canadian government recently released some research that shows if you take three particular strains of probiotic bacteria, that it actually has an impact on your mental health, not just your physical health, with evidence that it improves sleep, it reduces stress and anxiety, and serious mental health issues like depression. So if you think about it like that, if you think about understanding the physiological state of your body, if you think about this three-way connection between our guts and our brain, then it starts to make sense that if you're not looking after your body, if you're, if you're under stress, which damages your gut bacteria, if you're eating a lot of processed food, if you're getting sick a lot, then how are you supposed to access your intuition? If the physical structures that support your intuition, your gut neurons and your limbic brain aren't well, there's a beautiful sort of Buddhist term that says it's everybody's responsibility to look after their physical health because without that, they can't be mentally healthy. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, it's an easier place to start. You know, the, the things that you can do around sleep and exercise and diet and supplementation will naturally make your intuition stronger. And then you can make decisions based on your intuition. And you can see how it just completely gets exponential from there. That's incredible. It makes me want to have a tiny little round table to give a few examples individually when we've noticed our intuition heighten or when we notice certain environments or shifts we've made such as food like you're suggesting or sleep or anything that has shifted because I think that's really helpful for the listener to tap into their patterns when that's happened or if they try x y and z it's possible What about you, Jessica? Do you have any that come to mind of when you've had real upgrades of heightened intuition or things you've changed in your life? Yeah. So, you know, it's all cyclical, right? Like you'll have different periods where you'll need to eliminate something from your diet or routine. And sometimes you need to add things. And so I would say at least once a year, I'll get a ping where it's like no alcohol for at least a month just to reset your system. And I don't drink alcohol very often. I usually have like a couple glasses of wine on the weekends. And I wouldn't really feel effects of it. I wouldn't really be drunk or anything like that. But still, I had this intuition of just don't have any alcohol at all and see kind of what happens. And so I had got this ping a couple of weeks ago and I stopped having my wine on the weekends. And it felt like I made a major health shift or something like it made a drastic change on like bloating and all these things. And it was such a minor change because it's not like I was consuming a ton of it. And I was noticing right when I stopped having wine on the weekends, I was getting crazy intuitive downloads of 
like script ideas and work ideas and a show I should check out that I would never think to have watched. And that sparked another idea. Like I opened a channel (laughs) and things were pouring through. So that was kind of a like, oh, okay, I get why I was being asked to stop doing that. It kept my mind clear in order to channel through those other creative outlets. What about you, Dr. Tara? So I just want to make a comment on what Jessica said, but I I also do have a a, quite a recent example. So I've mentioned briefly to you, we haven't really gone into detail talking about it, the heart rate variability monitors that I use to look at stress, sleep, recovery of resilience, physical exercise and things like that. So when I use those with clients, and of course, I've used it a lot on myself in the past, even one or two units of alcohol disrupts your sleep for one or two hours compared to no alcohol. And to be honest, when people drink a lot, yes, it's worse, but it's actually not that much worse. So even small amounts of alcohol, they really disrupt your sleep because your body, particularly your liver, has to work so hard to metabolize the toxin before it can get to the job of repairing your cells and letting you dream and process your emotions and all that kind of thing. So there's a very physiological backup for what you just said, Jessica, which is that your sleep would have massively improved. That means you would have had more opportunity to go through all the sleep cycles and get the alpha waves and the gamma waves and the REM sleep that leads to more ideas and better emotional processing, which also obviously leads to accessing your intuition. So that doesn't surprise me at all, you know, even when it's such a minor shift, but it's good to hear and it's good to know. So I kind of had it the other way around, Lacey, which is that I live and die by my intuition. I have said for years before it was cool to say it, that I make all of my most important decisions by my intuition. If the logic doesn't align with that, that just doesn't bother me at all. And then I have done a lot of journaling and a lot of inner work to to hone that even more. So during the first three months of lockdown, which for everybody has represented a, you know, a global chronic low-grade stress at least, and and I was shielding a vulnerable person, so it was very stressful. I just remember thinking, I have completely lost my intuition. I can't trust myself at all. I, I have no real sense of, of what's going on, like either inside my body or what decisions I should make about what happens outside. And I was just kind to myself. And, you know, I realized there's a global pandemic. And anyway, we're completely locked down and isolated. So perhaps it doesn't matter that much. And then recently, in the last few weeks, and I think it's coincided with my work becoming busier again and me starting to remember that motivation I had when I was really busy and going out to work. I've had a few instances where I'm like, wow, my intuition is on fire at the moment. And there was just things like, just from small things to large things, I just feel like I know everything that's going on. I mean, it's like I've taken that drug limitless, you know, from the movie. What I realized was that I've just gone back to normal because I had three months where it really wasn't good. And now that I'm listening to it again, and it's obviously there again, it feels so amazing. But I think it's just because it was bad for three months. So if you're really tuned into that kind of thing, you do get a sense of when it's working, when it's not, when you get a ping or more so like an intuition, because I kind of just tend to think of an intuition as a bigger ping, that you think, okay, this is what that is. So I really need to listen to it. But If you haven't done the inner work, then you may just not recognize what it is at all.
I'm quickly interrupting this episode to invite you if you're ready to start your manifestation journey, or if anything you've heard in our manifestation episodes has piqued your interest to begin. We have a la carte workshops in everything from the basics bundle, which is what we recommend to everyone who starts. It's the formula that actually teaches you how to manifest, unblocked inner child, and unblocked shadow. We also have a la carte workshops on love and money. But the real gem is the Pathway membership because it encompasses every single workshop we have. It's a year-long membership with full access to the few a la carte offerings we have and exclusive workshops not available anywhere else, such as the daily practice, which is what everybody in the Pathway uses, hopefully at least three times a week to daily in order to truly create the new neural pathways that one needs in order to manifest and houses the library of our deep imaginings, which is our unique hypnosis process that allows you to get into your subconscious and overwrite those old neural pathways, creating the new ones. You can use our special code EXPANDED, all caps, E-X-P-A-N-D-E-D, to receive $20 off your first a la carte workshop purchase or $20 off your first month of the pathway. Again, that's all caps, EXPANDED, E-X-P-A-N-D-E-D. Okay, now back to the episode. say that most likely stress and unknown and also not having your own personal space and motivation, it actually contributed to the dimming of your intuition. I completely felt that in the last, you know, the not the last month, but the three months before that, I, 100% I felt that. And I, because most of my research is on stress and cortisol, I thought, okay, so this is what's happening. I basically felt like my brain went into survival mode and just did the minimum. It couldn't do those higher functions. That's such a good point, too, because I would argue that most people, until they start having more and more awakenings, tend to live in fight or flight, that stress, that chronic, even if it's minimal stress. And I imagine that's why meditation is so helpful to carve out space for people to obviously regulate the nervous system and all of the chemical processes that happen in the body. So that was such a pure example of when you are in that state, it's so much harder to access it. Completely. That's amazing. Mine are like really hippie. I was like really taking note while you guys were talking of when the various times my intuition has heightened and heightened. And it's always these patterns. When I'm forced at the breaking point of a rock bottom, that's where my biggest downloads and intuitions always come from. So it's like when I'm actually in my most breaking points of stress, they come through. That's one. And then my intuition has like opened up and heightened with different things in my life much more. So it's like my psychicness became a lot more firstly when, and it's, it actually exists within the daily reprogramming exercise. There's one that's called emotional clearing. And I used to give that to a lot of clients when I worked one-on-one with them. It's because I did it with myself before. And it was before I really, really had sort of channeled in like working with inner child, working with shadow. And then certainly before I, you know, educated myself on those things a little bit, but I got the hit that I needed to, anytime something came up, I needed to really sit with it and feel the emotions fully. So it was the first form of like somatic healing. So I would really like 
get to a place in my body, see where it's living and just lean into the memories that come up with it or whatever. And I was doing this a lot and I had what's called a Kundalini flu. So I started getting all these weird things that happened to my body, but I wasn't sick. I would get these crazy chest pains. I had, you know, bronchitis or whatever, but I had no symptoms of it aside from the just physical feeling of it. And I got like a lump under my armpit for a while that went away. It was so much stuff was releasing in my body from feeling it all. So that was one. And like my psychicness really opened up after that. And then the third one where it was like a huge catapult was when I did Reiki training, which is another form of that, right? Like opening up the channels more and more. So it's really funny because... When I put a through line through it, if I never looked at the many loops that continue to loop of low self-worth, of being numbed out, of living a life that's not my own, it's a story from other people that I've picked up to validate. May it be like my mom's hopes and dreams for herself, media, or what my dad wanted me to follow, you know, like all of us experience until I could clear that stuff, until I could start to open up myself more, my channels more, I couldn't tap into my intuition deeply. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, I think these recent events, this chronic low-grade stress is just something very different to what we've ever experienced before. But I would agree with you that you've both read my book, that the turning point for me of getting divorced, of leaving my career, of moving countries, that low point definitely became the start of of trusting myself, of believing that I could do things, I wouldn't have stepped into the unknown previously to that, is, is huge. And But you know, one of the things I'm passionate about is that I hope that everybody doesn't have to go through such a low point to find that intuition. You can choose to find it just because your life would be better if you did. Agreed. And that's why we create these tools, to tap into that. Absolutely. And many other things that you've said, like if you don't get clarity around what you really want, then it's very easy to get swept up with all those superficial things, which are just the house and the car and the clothes or whatever. And one must take the time to get deeper than that, because if you want those things, those things will come. But only if you have the clarity around, you know, what your actual passion is and what you should be doing. And then I just quickly wanted to add as well that people tend to do the opposite of what you just said about social media. So a lot of people that I work with, have curated their social media to so represent what they superficially think that they want, that all it creates is dissatisfaction with what they've actually got. And I've actually tried to ask people to proactively change what they're exposing their brain to all the time, because all it's showing them is what they don't have that they want. As I always say to the team, neuroplasticity can be a really good thing, but it can also be a really bad thing if you're reinforcing things that make you feel negative. That's a really interesting point. I want to dig into that a little bit because I think this is all a great segue into procrastination, but what you just said is so valid. I guess what I'm getting down to like energetically, what separates and how do you shift out of being optimistic? So like for me, for instance, one of my expanders, and I've talked about this before, is this woman, Mimi Thor. She has like 20 kids. And I don't know if you follow her. <laughs> and she has this like chateau in France. It's just really, really warm and beautiful and family oriented in nature, these beautiful homes, but they're not like chateau, chateau. It's like a rundown, you know? Yeah. And I follow that and I look at that and it's so inspiring to me and brings me a lot of inspiration. 
And I usually tend to lean on the side of the optimist. And I, I'm educated in it myself now that I'm like, that's expanding me. That's an expander. But for the people who are actually reinforcing and being triggered by what they don't have, kind of what separates the two and how does one move into the latter or to the, the optimist? Yeah, I really actually think that we've said it all, Lacey, but it's worth just reinforcing that if you don't get clarity for yourself, then you're subject to all these things that people think they should have or you know what's being presented to your brain, particularly on social media. So it's really interesting, the timeline of what you've talked about, which is getting through some of those acute stress times in our life that most people have, coming out of them with not just having turned around a, a situation in real life, like a, a job struggle or a relationship issue, but coming out of it with that self-belief, that self-knowledge, that intuition, sometimes borderline psychicness. And that feels to me like what I call a crucible moment. So once you've sort of been through the flame and been reborn, then I think you have a much stronger sense of self and what's right for you. And we may all have those moments where we want something just because it's pretty and shiny, but that doesn't define us. And partly I think it comes a little bit with age, but obviously it depends at what age you start doing this kind of work. It can come because of some of the experiences that life has presented. And that's why I love that quote that Jessica gave at the beginning about what pings are. You know, it's life sending you messages. It's a journey, isn't it, Lacey? So I think you do have to go through some of those things, but then you have to end with a real sense of who you are because when you feel that strongly, you will make time to step back and get the clarity that you need. And I think a really good cap to put on that is eating well, whatever that is intuitively to you, sleeping and carving out the time you need, taking care of yourself is an act of self-worth. The more you do that, you create situational magnetism, especially if you've been putting it on the back burner. Actions create the most magnetism. You'll notice that anybody who's been practicing this manifestation practice, when they pass a test, they leave the job, they jump off the cliff. It's like, holy shit, whoa. <laughs> so, so much stuff starts showing up. And doing everything that each of us has spoken about all of those are actions of self-worth. So I think that that's a really cool way to look at it too. If they are things you've been putting off, even by taking those steps, because putting them off is an act of low self-worth in a way. And there's, I'm sure, many different psychological reasons why we do that. Just knowing you can take the one step. So having the goal of sleeping more for yourself if you haven't, or taking care of yourself, or doing this clarity exercise and the deep imagining so that you can unblock all the stuff that isn't yours and tap into your authenticity more. All of that's creating magnetism. So I love to leave on that like hope that there's a lot of magic that comes from just taking the action of doing what's right for yourself. Oh, 100%. I mean, it's also eloquently on the website already. But a real shortcut phrase for that is nobody is going to treat you better than you treat yourself. I think we said this last time, you will meet someone at the level of your self-worth. What procrastination is saying is if you keep yourself waiting, then that's how people will treat you as well. They'll keep you waiting. They won't give you an answer. They won't commit to you, all that kind of thing. And I just thought the other day that I pre-ordered some Epsom salts just well before I ran out. And I thought, just that little thing tells me that I matter to myself, that I'm not going to let myself run out and then get to the point where I feel like I'm doing like the shadow DIs and I really need to have that Epsom 
salt bath, but now I don't have any of the salts. Like I'm not going to let that happen because I matter. I love that. One thing you said, and then Jessica, I really want to give it over to you, but it's such a key manifestation teaching point. You said like, you're only going to meet the people that are at your level of self-worth if you're allowing yourself to wait or whatever, and people will continue to treat you that way. And something that's really fascinating and getting back to manifestation really is about self-worth because even if let's say you're the type of person and this isn't a healed version because I don't think this is a balance. I can be like this, but you're the type of person, let's say, who takes a long time to get back to people. You'll notice that it's not all of a sudden that it takes them a long time to get back to you. And because you, if you've been practicing your own self-worth, like it doesn't take you a long time to take care of yourself or get into you, the world won't meet you that way. If your self-worth is low, like it takes you a long time to take care of yourself or you put the things on the back burner that should be a priority because it is your self-worth, you'll start to see the world showing up to you that way. You won't hear back from people for a long time or if you're dating, you know, you'll be blown off and stuff. So I think that that's a really key point that you made. The action of you buying the Epsom salts to have ahead of time. It's like your self-worth is, it's so evident in that action that the world shows up in the same way. And that's just like simple energetics. Whereas if you're the type of person who's putting that off, maybe from lack mentality or other things I should focus on first or whatever, you'll see the world showing up in a different way that mirrors that level of self-worth. And I think when we're talking about harnessing our intuition and harnessing clarity and finding clarity blocks, which is kind of what you were saying, Lacey, are sort of these things that are like stopping us, preventing us going down this route of distraction and procrastination that can lead to leaning into your vices, mindlessly scrolling on social media. What is sort of being asked of us when those distractions are creeping up? It's sort of like we need to unblock. We need to examine this. Why am I doing this on autopilot versus sitting down and paying attention to how I can get in sync with my clarity? But what about procrastination? What is sort of the science behind why we're running in fear into procrastination? So Lacey mentioned earlier about the flight fight response, because obviously that relates very much to running away from a predator in cave times. So where the science meets this procrastination element is that the modern day F is freeze. So a rabbit in the headlights, like you get asked a question at work in front of a lot of people and you actually know the answer, but your mind just goes totally blank. That can play out in life, whether it's a deadline on a project, whether it's you know, something to do with a relationship or something to do with your self-care, that for whatever reason, and the reason tends to be you know, a subconscious blocker, and that's why it's important to find out what it is, fear paralyzes you. And also the hippocampus and the amygdala, which are where memories and emotions get connected in the brain, which are both part of the limbic system, they bring up negative memories to try to protect you. So when you are going to take a step into the unknown or tackle a challenging project, your brain actually, in a way, works against you saying, well, the last time you tried to work with these people or the last time you tried to extend yourself in this way, everything went wrong. And so you've got to be so proactive and optimistic, as Lacey said, to override that default gearing of the brain. And it's easy to say this in retrospect, and I think it's so important that a lot of the things we've talked about they're not just easy for us. It's because we've devoted our lives to working on 
building up these skills and overcoming these barriers, that whenever you take that first step, you usually end up feeling like, oh, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. But the paralysis of procrastination rears up this image that it's going to be so overwhelming and so challenging and difficult and negative. But as soon as you break through that, their realization comes that it's not as bad as you were expecting. Yeah, I love that. And when I would see energetically procrastination come up, it always came down to two things, exactly what you're saying. It's fear. I would see it in my clients. It'd be like fear of perfection, a block of sorts of why they can't get through something. This would be like the biggest default issue. So it would be like tackling the fear that's going on, the trigger that's going on there. And the second thing, in fact, would be a really clear indication, whatever's being procrastinated is sometimes a very good indication. Maybe it's something that's not totally aligned, that's being forced. I don't want to give a cop out on this, but that's a really big part of manifestation. Here's an energetic of it. If it's not a hell yes, it's a no. And when you start to look at things in your life, if it's not a hell yes, it's a no, life becomes a lot clearer. And sometimes it's a hard actionable, right? Because you're in a job that might not be a hell yes. And we have a whole course of how to transition and everything and unblocked money with that. But when you start to understand, and this is a huge clarity piece in your life as well, if you can start to cancel out what are no's, and you just see the yeses, it also starts to point into a direction. And it's the same thing with procrastination. People might use that as a cop out a few times if actually what they're working on is really in alignment with what they want to do. But there's so much fear there that they go, "Mm, this must be a hell no. The good thing about life, and I think you guys have probably experienced this, is the thing will keep coming back around. Those are the two things I would see the most often. I mean, I have that in work, you know, there's aspects of the company where I'm not lit up about something, for instance, and I'm like, I procrastinate it because I'm so airy about a lot of things in Aquarian where I'm like, Oh, you know, I just want to float around and, and, you know, do whatever all day in nature, but it'll help me go, okay, this isn't the thing that lights me up the most anymore. So where can I show up more in the company and make a bigger impact? So it's just really interesting when I think somebody's coming up against procrastination, let's say even within the work, we saw that when we sent out a survey, that people can come up with procrastination. And usually it's a fear of not doing it correctly, a fear of you're not doing it right, or you know, whatever, those are just blocks of fear that one has to get through. And we can talk about that more with you, Dr. Tara. And then there's the aspects of maybe you're actually not working on the workshop that you actually need to be working on right now, the thing that you're the most interested in manifesting. And then you can come back to that if you, you know, whatever. So that's what I would see the most often. I think that idea of a hell yes or a hell no is so confusing sometimes for people because there can be, obviously there's lessons in both, whatever route you wind up going down. But let's say just for this example, let's say someone really hates doing administrative work and part of their job is on calls all day and part of it is administrative work. And let's say they've in their head, they're like, this doesn't light me up. I don't like this. I'm going to have to delegate and hire out for this role. But maybe the financial constraints they're in right now, they can't do it. And so they have to continually do this really tedious task that like isn't aligned with who they really are. Is it possible that 
what they're being asked to move through is a potential block that they're not good at this type of work. Maybe they saw in schooling years younger that they were told that sort of focused attention work isn't good for them. Or is that a delegated task? Essentially, can that intuition ping between those two options ever be wrong? Like when is it our limiting beliefs? And when is it a block? And then when is it our intuition telling us like this doesn't align with us, it's got to go? I think everything comes down to some sort of block here and there, unless you have full clarity on it, that you're like, nope, feel it in my bones. I hate this thing. And so a great example of what you just mentioned in those instances, I would always get an intern. So here's a great, a great example of this. My dad is like the biggest half-asser in the world. He's also an Aquarius. (laughs) So he's always (laughs) been like, he does everything half-ass. But the one good thing he just excels at, he's an incredible roper. He's really good at it. Like to the point where wealthy friends will pay for him to be their partner and like fly him around the world to do that with him. He also didn't finish college. Um, He was actually like a really good Aquarian role model for me because what he taught me was if you focus on what you really love and what you're really good at, you can be very happy at it, even though he has a lot of blocks that he needs to work through, I think, to be very financially successful in it. But because I moved to LA and I had a lot of expanders, I saw, oh, not only can I be really happy doing the things I love, but I can also be financially successful at it. So the thing that I would have done in that position, but I had the luxury of growing up around somebody who showed me you could half-ass and still have a really good life, was in those instances, I would hire an intern. So to me, there's always a solution. So to actually really distill and answer your question, I think there's two ways you have to look at it. Like whatever you're coming up against is... Number one, is there a block here? If so, I can take it through one of the daily reprogramming exercises that works. Trigger being a great default in this situation. And then you come to, okay, it's not a block. And then you look at it. You're like, is this a hell yes in my life? Mm, It's probably a no. What can I do now, especially that we have all of these resources in our life, to get support on this or to eliminate this. Like I would do that all the time. And a great example of this in the company was Twitter. I was like, I don't get Twitter, but even though like most businesses are on Twitter and that's like a thing, I was always like, nah, not for me. And I just don't do it. And in fact, those things often make me more successful because again, getting back to manifestation, I'm living my authenticity. I'm saying no to what's not a hell yes. What I'm talking about is nuance, but I think maybe it could be cool for us to come up internally with a system. First, look at whatever procrastination is coming up and see what's the fear and the block at the root. If you're not really, truly, truly finding one after doing the work, not like a cop out, but you're really not finding one, looking at it and saying, is this a hell yes? And if there's a no there, how can you get creative about delegating it or detoxing it? No, honestly, I love it. I've just had a ping from what you've you've been saying, which is when we talk about procrastination, I think about sort of two extremes. One is just that admin work that is not very interesting that you don't really want to do. Or, you know, even maybe a proposal or a PowerPoint presentation or something that you just keep putting off. That's what I would call small things. And then at the other end of the spectrum, you made me think about like probably the biggest thing in my life, which was after I got divorced, that I said I would never, ever get married again. And and it took me nine years to get to the point of marrying again. And obviously, you know, I regret some of that time, but it was what it was. And my business grew massively in that time and everything. So I was thinking of those two extremes. 
But I think what you've encapsulated so beautifully is what you've both talked about is the ones that are a bit more in between that it's harder to, to untangle. Is this just because it's mundane? Is it an energetic block? Is it just something I shouldn't be doing? And I'd probably say we all have to do some mundane tasks that we don't really enjoy. We can, of course, delegate you know, most, if not all of them sometimes. I do think it's, it's almost like turning it around on its head, but it's about not being able to say no. I think that's like the other side of the coin of procrastination. And if we all became better at saying no to the things that aren't a hell yes, then I actually believe that we would procrastinate less because we'd only be doing things that are really aligned for us. Agreed. What about you, Jessica? Like thinking of aspects of your life, you know, when procrastination comes up for you, what are your thoughts on it all? One thing that I found really interesting is the things that I wind up procrastinating on, I would say the most are like my soul craves to be totally independent, answer to myself, create my own schedule, all of those things. And when I was doing a lot of that, I found I was procrastinating so much because I had no one to answer to. No one was checking to see if this was done or whatever. And I have such a good student complex, which is in a way a block. But I realized I was like a beast of sorts when I would work for an employee because I needed a little bit of that pressure of, I'm checking in with the team. I'm doing it with other people. We're all accountable to each other. And that sort of pushed me further. And it was really a balance of understanding, okay, I want this freedom. And I don't like when I have really tight constrictions in a job. So maybe there's a role in between where it can give me that motivation and that excitement, but then also give me autonomy and freedom to create my own schedule, whatever it may be. So I think procrastination, that sort of is that thing where it's like, I thought I wanted full reign for me to be on my own with no one to answer to. And when I did that, I actually wasn't very effective because all of those fear loops were coming up. What was best for me is having people to be accountable and a team that I can show work that I've done to and things like that. So that's always been really interesting is our soul craves for one thing. And actually what we excel in best is maybe elements of that, but somewhere in between. I think that's great and so useful. Yeah, such a good example of actually using procrastination as a way to test whether what you think your soul craves is actually what your soul craves. And it completely brought up for me that I strongly had, and to some extent, sometimes still do that a perfect student mindset. And so a game changer for me was going from, is this perfect to, is this good enough? Great. And I love what you, how you just, you know, saw what Jessica said, like, which is so true. It's a good way to test, is this procrastination or not? And it's a great manifestation point too, because one of the best ways to see what you want, again, for clarity is when you start to manifest things you don't want or things you called in and you're like, oh, I thought I wanted this, but I don't. And that's why when I used to work one-on-one with people and have them make a list, one of those stigmas out there in superstitious manifestation is like, don't focus on the negative. Don't put in anything on your list of what you don't want. And I'm like, what? (laughs) That's crazy. Not only 
A, will you not manifest it? And we've highlighted that so much on this podcast of why, but knowing what you don't want is a great road sign or map of showing you what you do want. It's an elimination. So it's, you know, sometimes it's manifesting those things in and being like, oh, I thought I really wanted that, but I don't, it's okay. And then understanding what you don't want and, and knowing yourself deeper, your authenticity is a great indicator of finding more clarity. And I think this kind of goes into sort of the accountability piece. When we have procrastination coming up, when we have distractions, when we're not able to tap into our intuition, when we're not finding clarity, how do we take accountability and really action of the situation? And how do we figure out what the role is there? How do you guys think that accountability really plays into the science of manifestation, which I think covers both ends. So if you really distill the science down to uh, for sustainable behavior change, which is essentially what we're talking about. So getting yourself to a place where you're you know, naturally behaving in the way that you want to is a four-step process that starts with raised awareness. So that's exactly what Lacey talks about with unblocking subconscious beliefs. So when they're subconscious, you don't know about them. So raising awareness means that you make them conscious. And then in the neuroscience, the next step is focused attention. So that is looking out for examples of you doing the thing that's based on your subconscious blocker or looking out for opportunities to behave differently. The third part is deliberate practice, which is overwriting your neural pathways with your, your new way of thinking based on no longer believing what you were believing. And the fourth, it's not really a step, but the fourth part is absolutely accountability. And, you know, in the good times, that can be holding yourself accountable. But sometimes you do need another person or, you know, the accountability of a workshop like the ones that, that we offer, completing them to help you hold yourself accountable. So, And that's why we've always said that preferably it's it's another person like a champion or a friend or a coach or your partner. But... I have for a long time now been saying technology can be that thing that holds you accountable. So we've said a few things about how technology can have a negative effect on your brain today, but the platform from which we share our workshops with the world is it's technology. So that's my four-step process in my view of the work. I'd love to hear what Lacey has to say. I mean, I've been so curious, you know, along the way I've been learning from you that high stakes and accountability are so tremendous for neuroplasticity work. So I'm excited to see where we can incorporate that more within the workshops. And we've talked about creating more through the community group that Pathway members have access to, starting to talk about how do we make sure people have accountability partners. I'm learning through you how important it is to have a sustainable change in your brain, like yeah. a, you know, a true, true change. So I love all of that. And I think that's great. And then just to round out a little exercise for people for this week, we often do this in supported classes where we'll have a little exercise for everyone, but just to give an action step. So one question that's been coming up a lot through different channels is people feeling super lost of where to start with their clarity practice. Someone had written in that their life feels an extreme level of uncertainty and unknown. They're 
career, their purpose, what's going to happen with their family. Everything feels like it's being shaken up or taken away, given what's going on in the world right now. And so one little practice we wanted to give everyone over the next week, it's sort of this accountability exercise where every time a test, a trigger, an undesirable mood sort of presents itself, take accountability for that being active in your life and take it through a DRE and try to understand the lesson, the energetic, the trigger, the block that's presenting for you. So every time something like that comes up over the next week, just try to take that directly to the DRE and say, okay, this is helping me get closer to answers and my accountability and what's going on and away from procrastination and have a bit more autonomy over what's going on. And I guarantee you're going to have some really profound things come up even after a week of just committing to this practice. I feel like your clarity and intuition will already be so heightened. Truth be told, my manifestation practice did not like accelerate at a tremendous pace until I went, I'm going to make the decision that every single thing that's showing up in my life, I've attracted somehow. And I know that that's so controversial, especially in the wake of woke culture. And especially like we have a wonderful disclaimer that we're not suggesting if you've suffered from oppression, racial injustice, and many of the injustices in the world that you've attracted that. This is much more nuanced in the sense that when I practiced that, I became so utterly empowered. I then had power over everything that showed up in my life rather than when I was at the whim of everything showing up in my life. I remember because there was a moment, Max and I, when we first met, I was putting all my shit on him like I do in every relationship and pulling out all the stops of emotional manipulation, this and that. And we were lying in bed before going to sleep one night and he went, that's your shit. It's not mine. You need to go work on that, you know, basically, or this isn't going to work out. You need to take accountability. And that's what gave me this idea. I was like, whoa, if I started to take accountability for every single thing that shows up in my life, I then have power over it and control to change it and then to create the life I want. And so that's where this practice is tremendous. And you can take the ego out of it and the pain out of it. And you can go, something about me attracted this for me to integrate and shift. Something about this is my mirror. It's my opportunity. I'm going to go and unblock it. Just like Jessica said, in one of the daily reprogramming exercises that is applicable to what you're feeling in that moment, watch your practice super speed. And that's, again, like one of the big things we mentioned in this today, if you are not receiving clarity, the more you unblock and you carve out that space to see into the, to feel, to have the image to the whatever, that's where clarity lives. So this is the big unblocking piece. And I think that's a fantastic exercise. Thousand percent agree. I mean, I agree with everything that you said. I've been on a similar journey with that myself. And sometimes I even find now that something happens, maybe I feel as like unfair to me. And then I'll be lying in bed a few nights later and I'll think, oh yeah, that happened because I had that thought about someone else like last week or whatever. So it's it's just really interesting how it perpetuates itself. It's, so it's not always like proactive moving forward. Sometimes you just get this really deep understanding of something that's happened and then you can release it as well. So it's kind of works in all directions of space and time. Is there anything too, Dr. Tar, as we sign off that this accountability piece, when we do like, let's say, take that moment where we're like, just for fun, I'm going to see how everything 
showing up in my life right now, I participated in and I can change. Does science show anything about that? Like, it, does anything come up for you around neuroscience and science with that piece? I mean, I think largely it would be about the awareness piece and the agency. So because what you said was, you put it perfectly, really, where you said, when I was at the whim of everything, rather than when I decided to take accountability for everything. And so when you feel at the whim of everything, you're helpless and you're out of control. So naturally, it's easy to blame external factors, but also you intrinsically feel helpless and out of control. When you feel resourceful and resilient because you think that you can work out a way or understand the way that of why this is happening to you, you're almost like a completely different person. Yeah, it seems like you get out of that caged feeling, you know, and into possibility. And also, because if you say, I'm going to understand how I'm responsible for whatever's happened, what you're basically saying is, I'm therefore, I'm capable of doing something about it. When you say, oh, it happened to me and it was unfair, you're not capable of doing anything about it. Yeah, that's what I really started to notice in my life as well. It's like I could finally see that I had endless possibility, that anything was possible. So I love that. And I think that's really kind of the vision that we want to hold for everyone that life is hard. Being a human is difficult. All of these challenges that we face and all of the craziness in the world, it's a difficult process. But you have the ability to grow and soar and create the life that you want and know that that's truly possible, even if it feels like everything is against you, just by taking that time for yourself, just by taking a moment to meditate or process through an emotion as it's coming up in real time or work through those blocks, you have the ability to start shifting your life. And you're so powerful. Like we're all so powerful. And I feel like we forget that sometimes. And so worth it. Yeah. And taking agency over your life doesn't make your life harder. It makes your life easier. Yeah, I agree. Okay, everyone. Well, I'm excited to hear what's coming up and what goes through your accountability exercise. We will link it in the show notes. And I hope everyone has a beautiful, beautiful week. Yes. Bye. Bye, guys. Thank you. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning into the episode. And I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did, we did. And in case you're not totally ready to join the pathway yet, I wanted to share a few of our free offerings that I'll often suggest to people as a little bit of a blueprint to get them started on their manifestation journey. The first place I like to direct people completely for free is the motivation. You can see it linked below or on our homepage as our testimony library. And it's categorized by different subjects, whether you're calling in career, money, love, wellness, and much more. When you're reading about a member's experience of what they manifested, you're actually seeing to believe and showing your subconscious that that very thing is possible for you. The second place I like to direct people is to the free clarity exercise, which is also linked below. In it, you get to try our own unique hypnosis process, learn about the science and some journaling prompts. And the best part about this You'll get a tiny taste of what it's like to go into your hypnotic state, bring your subconscious forward, 
and create new neural pathways while receiving clarity. And the third thing, if you haven't listened to it on this podcast yet, please go back to the episode titled Manifestation 101, where you'll learn the basics of neural manifestation to truly understand this process. So go ahead and check out those free resources, the motivation, the free clarity exercise, and the episode Manifestation 101, all linked below. And in an effort to make sure to have representation in this process series, go ahead and submit any process testimonials you have, especially to our LGBTQ community, our BIPOC, as well as the WISE, which is anyone in the community who is 45 and over. All right, we'll be back next week.